Section 22 of How They Succeeded. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Wayne Cook. How They Succeeded by Orison Sweat Marden. How James Whitcomb Riley came to be the master of the Hoosier dialect. It is doubtful if there is in the literary world today a personage whose boyhood and young manhood can approach in romance and unusual circumstances that of the author of The Old Swimming Hole. All tradition was against his accomplishing anything in the world. How indeed, said the good folks of the little town of Greenfield, Indiana, could anything be expected of a boy who cared nothing for school and deserted it at the first opportunity to take up a wandering life? Thrown on his own resources. The boy's father wanted the boy to follow in his footsteps in the legal profession, and he held out alluring hopes for the possibility of scaling even greater heights than any to which he had yet attained. Better still, from the standpoint of the restless James, he took the youngster with him as he made his circuit from court to court. These excursions, for they were indeed such to the boy, sowed deep in his heart the seed of a determination to become a nomad, and it was not long until he started out as a strolling sign-painter, determined upon the realization of his ideals. Oftentimes business was worse than dull, and on one occasion hunger drove him for recourse to his wits, and, lo, he blossomed forth as a blind sign-painter, led from place to place by little boy, and showered with sympathy and trade in such abundance that he could hardly bear the thought of the relinquishment of a pretense so ingenious and successful, entered on at first as a joke. Then came another epoch. The young man fell in with a patent medicine man, with whom he joined fortunes, and here the young Indianan, who had been scribbling more or less poetry, found a new use for his talent. For his duties in the partnership were to beguile the people with joke and song, while his co-worker plied the sales of his cure-all. There were many times when, but for his fancy, the young poet might have seen his audience dwindle rapidly away. It was while thus engaged that he had the opportunities which enabled him to master thoroughly the Hoosier dialect. When the glamour of the patent medicine career had faded somewhat, the nomadic Riley joined a band of strolling thespians, and in this brief portion of his life, after the want of players of his class, played many parts. At length he began to give a little more attention to his literary work, and later obtained a place on an Indianapolis paper where he published his first poems, and they won their author almost instant success. Why he longed to be a baker. When I drew Mr. Riley out to talk still further of those interesting days, and the strange experiences which came to him therein, the conversation finally turned on the subject of his youthful ambition. I think my earliest remembered one, he said, was an insatiate longing to become a baker. 
i don't know what prompted it unless it were the visions of the mountains of alluring goodies which as they are ranged in the windows of the pastry shops appear doubly tempting to the youth whose mother not only counsels moderation but enforces it next i imagined that i would like to become a showman of some sort then my shifting fancy conjured up visions of how grand it would be to work as a painter and decorate houses and fences in glowing colors finally as i grew a little older there returned to my old longing to become an actor when however my dreams were realized and i became a member of a traveling theatrical company i found that the life was full of hardships with very little chance of rising in the world i never had any literary ambitions whatever so far as i can remember i wrote primarily simply because i desired to have something to read and could not find selections that exactly suited me gradually i found a demand for my little efforts springing up and so my brother who could write legibly transcribed them persistence at this point i asked mr riley his idea of the prime requisites for success in the field of letters the most essential factor he replied is persistence the determination never to allow your energy or enthusiasm to be dampened by the discouragement that must inevitably come i believe that he is richer for the battle with the world in any vocation who has great determination and little talent rather than his seemingly more fortunate brother with great talent perhaps but little determination as for the field of literature i cannot but express my conviction the meteoric flights such as have been taken in recent years by some young writers uh, with whose names almost everybody is familiar cannot fail to be detrimental unless the man to whom success comes thus early and suddenly is an exceptionally even balanced and sensible person many persons have spoken to me about kipling's work and remarked how wonderful a thing is the fact that such achievements could have been possible for a man comparatively so young i say not at all what do we find when we investigate simply that kipling began working on a newspaper when he was only thirteen years of age and he has been toiling ever since so you see even that case confirms my theory that every man must be tried in the fire as it were he may begin early or late and in some cases the fight is longer than in others but of one thing i feel sure that there is no shortcut to permanent self-satisfying success in literature or anything else twenty years of rejected manuscripts mr riley i asked would you mind saying something about the obstacles over which you climbed to success i am afraid it would not be a very pleasant story he replied a friend came to me once completely heartbroken saying that his manuscripts were constantly returned and that he was the most miserable wretch alive i asked him how long he had been trying three years he said my dear man i answered laughing go on keep on trying till you have spent as many years at it as i did as many years as you did he exclaimed 
Yes, as long as I did. What, you struggled for years? Yes, sir, through years, through sleepless nights, through almost hopeless days. For twenty years I tried to get into one magazine. Back came my manuscripts eternally. I kept on. In the twentieth year that magazine accepted one of my articles. I was not a believer in the theory that one man does a thing much easier than any other man. Continuous, unflagging effort, persistence and determination will win. Let not the man be discouraged who has these. What would you advise one to do with his constantly rejected manuscript? I asked. Put it away a while, then remodel it. Young writers make the mistake I made. What mistake? I asked hurrying a manuscript off before it was dry for my pen, as if the world were just waiting for that article and must have it. Now it can hardly be drawn from me with a pair of tweezers. Yes, lay it aside a while. Reread. There is a rotten spot somewhere. Perhaps it is full of hackneyed phrases, or lacks in sparkle originality. Search, examine, rewrite, simplify make it lucid. I am glad now that my manuscripts did come back. Presently I would discover this defect, then that. Perhaps three or four sleepless nights would show my failure to be in an unsymmetrical arrangement of the verses. See these books, he said, rapping upon the bookcase with the back of his hand. Classics. But of what do they tell? of the things of their own day. Let us write the things of our day. Literary fields exhausted? Nonsense. If we write well enough, ours will be the classics of tomorrow. Our young Americans have, right at hand, the richest material any country ever offered. Let them be brave and work in earnest. A College Education Answering other questions, the poet said, a college education for the aspirant for literary success is, of course, an advantage, provided he does not let education foster a false culture that will lead him away from the ideals he ought to cling to. There is another thing that the young man in any artistic pursuit must have a care for, and that is to be practical. This is a practical world, and it is always ready to take advantage of the sort of people so that one must try to cultivate a practical business sense as well as an artistic sense. We have only a few men like Rudyard Kipling and F. Hopkinson Smith who seem to combine these diverse elements of character in just the right proportions. But I believe that it is unfortunate for the happiness and peace of mind of our authors and artists and musicians that we have not more of them. Riley's Popularity Riley's poetry is popular because it goes right to the feelings of the people. He could not have written as he does, but for the schooling of that wandering life, which gave him an insight into the struggles for existence among the great unnumbered multitude of his fellow men. He learned in his travels and journeys, in his hard experience, a strolling sign painter and patent medicine peddler, the Freemasonry of Poverty. His poems are natural. They are those of a man who feels as he writes. 
as thoreau painted nature in the woods and streams and lakes so riley depicts the incidents of everyday life and brightens each familiar lineament with that touch that makes all the world akin end of chapter twenty two and of how they succeeded by orison sweat marden